and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg, South Africa. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon. And a good afternoon to Motusi Turner, who joins us again. It's been two years since Motusi was last on the show. Uh, he joins us on the line from London. And uh, if you're not familiar with Motusi, he is the, the blogger behind the excellent blog on WordPress, The East is Red. You can find that at eastisred.wordpress.com. Motusi, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be back. Well, today we're going to be talking about a, a post that... Uh, that Motusi put up on February 13th of this year, Chinese Dreams and the African Renaissance. Now, that's a very interesting title, in part because it's encompassing a couple key different concepts that are becoming increasingly popular both in China and in Africa. And so in order for us to kind of fully understand what these two keys are and how they may be coming together, as Motusi argues, um, Kobus, first, you talked to us a little bit about what the African Renaissance is, then I will define the Chinese dream, and then we're going to throw it on the plate for Motusi to kind of tell us what his thesis is. Go Start off with the African Renaissance. The African Renaissance was basically, as, as I understand it, and, and Motusi might, might differ, but um, as I understand it, the term itself was, was, was coined by um, Thabo Mbeki, South, South Africa's uh, previous uh, um, president. Um, and, you know, it, it essentially referred to an idea that Africa Africa while used to be great, especially before colonialism, you know, kind of that it was a center of world trade and, you know, kind of a center of great learning. Um, and that, you know, kind of that was essentially wrecked by, by um, centuries of European domination and that the, cur- the current, um, you know, kind of lack, of de- lack of development and so on that we're seeing um, is, you know, kind of c- can be reversed and that Africa needs to work towards a future where it'll, it'll re- you know, kind of rise again. Um, that, that was, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a... a, a, a uh, kind of the kind of vocabulary of renewal. Okay, and interestingly enough, the the Chinese dream uh, is, has some similarities to that. You know, the Chinese, like Africans, were the victims of colonialism. The Chinese have had this cloud that hangs over them since the period of colonialism, and says that they will never ever be the victims of imperialism again. And in 2013, President Xi Jinping. He was uh, in Beijing, and he really unveiled this concept called the Chinese dream. Now, we're not entirely sure if that was a direct influence from the American dream or this was something that he came up with on his own. In Chinese, it's called the Zhongguo Meng, and it's this concept of uh, a rejuvenated China. Again, very similar to the theme that Kobus kind of articulated about Africa. Here are the words that in, in typically you know, stiff Chinese style that describes these types of, uh, of ideologies. Here are the words that, that, that Xi Jinping himself used to define the Chinese dream. National rejuvenation, improvement of people's livelihoods, prosperity, construction of a better society, and a strengthened military. So the debate that a lot of people have in China about the concept of the Chinese dream is it a collectivist idea or is it an individual idea? The American dream is very much about the individual aspirations. Uh, this, the way that she puts it, is very much a collectivist about China, but at the same time, a lot of people have interpreted it as an individual aspiration that Chinese have, very similar to the Chinese dream. So with those two kind of in the pot, Motusi decided to kind of take them together and mix it up. So Motusi, why don't you lay out for us the 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 kind of the your thesis on the Chinese dream meeting African Renaissance. 
Well, I think it's a, it was a really interesting question for me because, um, you know, China repeatedly emphasizes um, win-win cooperation in its dealing with, with Africa. Um, so whenever it kind of has engagement with African countries, it always talks about, you know, mutual development. Um, and the fact that there are these two visions, albeit from quite different sources and with similar but different um, objectives in mind, I just thought it'd be interesting to look at how aspirations might drive uh, interactions between these kind of two societies in the future. Um, and uh, as, as you've kind of touched on already, you know, there are some areas of, of common ground between them, which, which uh, I highlight in my, in my article. And the first is the fact that both of them seem to uh, be a kind of included rejection of Western hegemony. So, you know, it's both kind of post-colonial um, ideology and we're looking at raising the profile of both China and African countries on the global stage so that geopolitics isn't just kind of determined by Europe and the US. Uh, so that's the first kind of similarity that I noticed. Uh, second similarity is that, you know, in both cases, we're sort of dealing with a new generation, like a post-colonial generation. Um, uh, in, in the case of China, it's a, it's a capitalist generation more than the kind of uh, cultural revolution generation that we had before. Um, and, you know, in, in, both, in, both, in both Africa and in China, I think uh, development has actually led to increased inequality quite often. Um, and that creates quite a lot of, sort of polarization in, in, in both societies. Um, and what I think leaders are trying to do in both cases is, is try to set out some kind of common ideology or aspiration that can unite um, uh, Chinese people in the case of China and uh, African people kind of more broadly through this pan-Africanist movement. Um, and then the last similarity was that they both kind of look towards the past. So the way they try to co-opt everyone's aspirations is to look at um, traditional culture and traditional um, heritage before kind of Westerners got involved and messed everything up, essentially. So um, they both see, they, they both try to remedy the discontent by, by looking towards common heritage. So, Kobus, that's Motusi's case for outlining kind of the synergies and how they're alike. Uh, you've expressed, again, not, you're not questioning Motusi's, but, uh, you know, his, his thesis here, but you're, you've kind of raised some questions about whether or not, uh, in the long term, this kind of parallel is sustainable. Yes, I mean, um, in the first place, you know, it, it struck me that, um, and I completely agree agree with Motusi that, you know, kind of that this, uh, right at this moment, this this narrative makes a lot of sense, I think, for both both China and Africa. And I think, to a certain extent, the even kind of within that, the, the kind of narrower idea of, of Africa achieving its goals has political experience for both China and Africa. You know, kind of this, this idea that Chinese um, investment is going to help Africa to reach its goals. Um, and you know, kind of that that it obviously the win-win trope. You know, kind of that that we see a lot. What I was wondering is, once having risen, whether Africa, whether Africa and China will still be on the same page. You know, kind of whether whether the, I my my feeling is that there is a, an expiration date on that on that cooperation, and that once um, it's very easy to to talk 
about African renewal now, and everyone does it because no one is in direct competition with Africa because Africa is, is in lots of ways, de developmental ways, is Africa is still so weak. Um, once Africa becomes stronger and that it actually becomes a, a you know kind of a real competitor, I think we'll see new narratives. And if Africa becomes really successful, we'll probably see threat narratives. You know, kind of in, in the same way that that China has been subjected to in, in the in the United States. Well, Matusi, let's kind of pick up on the point that Kobus raised here. In, in what you're saying about these kind of Renaissance narratives are very much what we heard about the BRICS maybe 10 years ago, that the BRICS were going to take over the world, that the BRICS were really going to be the new kind of, you know, displace the, the, the developed world as, as a potential market. And now we see China slowing, India slowing, Brazil is really off the map, Russia's a mess, South Africa, well, Again, questionable whether South Africa even belongs in the group. Nonetheless, the BRICS are not what they were five or ten years ago. And I wonder if the renaissance that we've talked about in Africa, as Kobus pointed out, and China in its dream may go flat given the fact that the anti-corruption drive along with the economy are both kind of bringing people down. Yeah, I think those are really important points that you both raise. Um, I think I think Kobus is right that uh, at this stage it's very easy to talk about win-win development and mutual cooperation when China is, I mean, sorry, when Africa, African economies are relatively um, extremely weak kind of compared to um, other global players. So, you know, it's kind of easy to, it's almost, it's almost patronizing in a way, sort of saying like, oh yeah, you know, we're, we're, we're all working towards the same goal and we're going to develop together and become strong powers um, hand in hand. Um, I think you're right that, you know, the, the BRICS haven't achieved the kind of, uh, <laughs> Um, global prominence that was perhaps promised, but um, realistically, I think what we would probably be looking at in the future is, is a more multipolar world order. Um, I don't, you know, there's, there's a lot of political theory going around that says maybe the age of real superpowers is over, and we are entering a kind of more um, more unpredictable and 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 um, kind of diverse political sphere where we have new players um, such as India, you know, Indonesia as well, um, all kind of kind of entering the, the geopolitical game in a way. Um, but in terms of, I think it's important, I think it's interesting because of that to look at what the kind of um, sort of political dream is of each of each of these powers. Um, and in the case of China and Africa, it does seem like there is a narrative being built around the rise of both powers. But I'm not necessarily saying that China and Africa are going to rule the world because, you know, even though Europe has had its, had its troubles and so has the U.S., you know, they're still uh, fundamentally running, running the show effectively. Um, so, so, yeah, I would, I would agree with, with your point there. Hey, Kobus, let me ask you a quick question. As somebody who studied the, the, the you know, Chinese soft power in Africa, do you foresee, you know, this, again, this fusion that Motusi has made between the Chinese dream and African Renaissance in some ways built around a common interest of a multipolar kind of anti-Western hegemony type of framework? But do you see the idea of the Chinese dream kind of taking root in Africa in, in a similar way that the American dream has taken root? Uh, because we've talked about China's incompetence in projecting soft power and really conveying its message. But is Xi Jinping onto something with this Chinese dream that might actually, um, you know, take hold in Africa in ways that the American dream, which is based on pure consumerism and owning a house and having kind of individual liberty and owning a gun, separate from what the, Chi what the Chinese dream is, which is, you know, you know, better infrastructure, stronger military, 
people's livelihoods prosper, an economic message, if you will? Um, it's a it's a it's a complicated question. Um, in the first place, I think aspects of the American dream, maybe n- nicer aspects than the ones you mentioned, well, more than more than maybe gun uh, okay. gun ownership, but is probably not the, like the highlight of the American voting. dream. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can see I'm a little bit cynical about the American dream right now. <laughs> <laughs> the you know kind of America's vision of 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 full and and you know kind of active participation in in politics. I think I think that does retain appeal. You know, kind of in Africa, I think that that is in in a, in a lot of societies that is a dream. Um, however, I think Africa is also quite um, quite aware of of wealth gaps in the U.S. You know, kind of and especially race you know kind of race based wealth gaps. You know, kind of African Americans are just disproportionately much poorer and more have more, more problems with the police and so on. So I mean. Those things get reported very, very extensively in Africa. So I think you know, kind of Africans who, who read the newspaper are very aware of those problems. Well, in the Chinese sense, I think the issue is is to which extent does the the you know kind of massive economic success and developmentalist state model that China represents to which extent um, is that is is that model itself appealing and to which extent is that model read as Chinese you know kind of so so I think there's a there's a distinction about whether people want to develop like China or where, whether they want to develop into China mm-hmm. you know um, and those those that, that distinction is very strong and my feeling is that they tend to want to develop like China you know it's, it's like like the old Chinese slogan of socialism with Chinese characteristics. In this case, they want Chinese capitalism with African characteristics. Oh, interesting. Um, rather than having it with Chinese characteristics, I think. Motusi, let me get your take on that. I mean, I think this question about the Chinese model is very interesting um, because the Chinese have sort of taken their own approach uh, on a number of issues, and particularly, as you mentioned, the, the, the Chinese dream uh, doesn't mention uh, kind of political freedom or, or the power of the individual. In the in the US, in the American dream, um, I think actually I think fundamentally the the idea of consumerism and individuals uh, acquiring you know property and 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 the kind of uh, modern comforts of of life that capitalism can bring to the rich um, is is universally appealing and I think uh, the American dream, the Chinese dream, and the the dream of New Africa kind of all rest on promising that to individuals in one way or another. Obviously, in China, the promise is more a strong state will provide all of these things for you in due course, um, but in the meantime, there's no need for you to worry yourself about political matters. We're in complete control over that. And I think um, for some African politicians, that approach is also very appealing. You know, the fact that China has managed to develop um, in a, with effectively an authoritarian regime and strong state control is very different from the kind of conditionality um, approach that has been propounded by West and the West and Western donors. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of African powers would look to China um, either as a direct model or even just to kind of say, well, they've done it differently. So that means we can question the, the kind of Washington consensus and we can question the Western approach, not necessarily saying that we will follow the Chinese model, but we'll uh, find our own um, approach. Another interesting um, difference, I think, between the American dream and both and, and this is New African movement and, uh, and the Chinese dream is that um, the Chinese and African dreams are quite um, racially determined by ethnic parameters hmm. or, let's say, um, 
you know, the, the, the say that especially in the case of China, it's a nationalist dream because there are obviously multiple ethnicities in China um, as there are in Africa. But, you know, the, the African dream is, is mostly centered around, you know, being African. And in most cases, that means, you know, being black. And it's about rediscovering black heritage and, and proving that, you know, black people can build strong economies and have a, have a central place in the world. Similarly, China is about this narrative that China was the world superpower for, um, you know, nearly all of human history. And it's only in the center of humiliation that China was, was reduced to a poor country. Um, and that was just a temporary blip. And now we're going back towards, um, you know, global domination. Um, so I think that is different from the America dream, which which started with this idea of the U.S. as a kind of promised land for anyone uh, who's being oppressed around the world, irrespective of, you know, nationality. As long as you took on the American values, um, that's fine. You could, you could be an American and you could be successful and live the dream. Whereas I think as we've seen from instances such as um, African migrants moving to Guangzhou, for example, to seek prosperity and, and the good life in China, um, even though there's this whole rhetoric of win-win, when they arrive in China, it's clear that, the Chinese don't want to share their dream with, um, with 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 foreigners who come to live there. You know, it's like this is our this is our dream. What are you doing in our country? Um, and in spite of all the of all the rhetoric, you know, they make it very difficult for for um, black people to live there. Um, and there's a lot of kind of racially um, motivated um, uh, policies which which hugely um, disadvantage yeah, migrants. And yeah, no, it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, as we're just kind of wrapping this up, because it's been a rather meta conversation here in that sense, in terms of the, the thing that I hear both, you, both of you saying is that the, 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 the strongest thread that either links these or goes down, you know, in parallel to one another through the African Renaissance and the Chinese dream is this concept of a multipolar world, is this idea that both are fed up with the Western hegemony, both are being fed up with the West telling them what to do, the Washington consensus driving everything, and both want more autonomy or, as Cobus's academic friends would say, more agency uh, for their own behavior and their own kind of destinies. Um, you know, Cobus, let me get your final kind of thoughts on that uh, before we go. Yeah, and, and I, I agree with you. Um, but, you know, kind of within that, I, I also see a bit of a weakness because you can't build an identity on, you know, resenting someone else. There has to be, there has to be more um, substance there. You know, kind of uh, the, 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 a lot of signals. I mean, the West is strong and the West is going to be strong for a while. But, you know, kind of there is indications that even in the West and even in the US, you know, even in the more interventionist parts of the US, there is occasionally kind of intervention fatigue. You know, there is kind of world global policeman fatigue creeping in. So, you know, kind of you can't base your, your entire identity on the hegemony of the West because the West might not might not have hegemony forever. Um, and what what worries me about both the Chinese dream and the African Renaissance is that unlike the American dream, they are they are based on old categories, they're based on historical categories. Um, um, you know, so, I mean, you you know, being an American is a new thing. You can become an American. You can go into that direction, you know, um, and then finally reach those shores if, you, if you're lucky. Um, but, you know, kind of to, to, a sense, to a certain extent, both the Chinese dream and the African Renaissance are backward looking. You know, kind of they're looking at past glories that need to be regained. And for that, I don't know, that, that nostalgia and that kind of resentment and, and chip on the shoulderism, 
it, it worries me a bit. It, you know, kind of it feels exclusive, exclusionary, and it feels, you know, I don't know, you know, kind of it. it just it, it it doesn't. It's not inspiring for me yeah. in lots of ways. Well, Maybe it's because I'm a, I'm a minority. You know, kind yeah, of, so, yeah. You bring up an interesting point because here's one of the the fundamental things that make Americans what I think unique in the world. And and as our longtime listeners will know. It's pretty rare that I praise Americans, but here I go. Um, so you can't say it's never been done. Um, we are truly optimistic people. It's, it is who we are. We genuinely believe that tomorrow is going to be better than today. It is who we are. And I've, you know, I've lived in many countries around the world, both in Africa and Asia and in Europe, and that innate sense of optimism that is part and parcel of the American dream that says if you work hard enough, if you study hard enough, if you are disciplined and don't get into trouble and play by the rules, you will be successful. And that's that's the country that kind of invented this kind of really wonderful tomorrow. It's why we spend so much on credit, because we think, you know, I'm going to make more money tomorrow. Whereas here in Asia, people don't think that tomorrow will necessarily be better than today which is why people kind of grab as much as they can today because, you know what, there's no guarantee. I found that in, in, throughout Africa as well through my travels uh, and certainly in Europe as well. And that's why these two, the African Renaissance and the Chinese dream, I don't think have that innate optimism built in the same way that the American dream has. So, uh, Motusi, that's my take. You've heard Kobus's take. Give us your final kind of thoughts on either what we've said or the fusion of these two dreams. Yeah, I mean, I think, the, as I mentioned before, the strength of the American dream is that it has this pluralist um, idea behind it, and it has traditionally been quite an open an open society in terms of allowing um, talent from around the world to go there and, become, as you say, become American. Um, I do think that the Chinese and the Africans have a lot of optimism, but kind of going back to what Kobus said, um, you know, what is that actually based on? You know, is it just based on the fact that the economies are developing? Because, like I said, like I said, um, you know, we have a lot of inequality developing um, alongside that, and the societies are becoming quite polarized in some ways. Um, but I think, I think the the the, the question about um, about how uh, what the future might might look like, um, I think that the issue of consumerism is going to be a big one, and I, and I think that the way that these economies are developing. Um, it, it, that what makes the dream attractive in the Chinese case and the African case is the fact that it promises a kind of better life for, for, for people in one way or another. Um, I, would, I would say that um, uh, economic growth is obviously not everything. Um, and, and, and what we've seen around the world, actually, is that um, you know, people are becoming quite nationalistic in, in, in some respects. And uh, this idea that we, that, um, that we should be closed off and that the dream should be just for us. It's something that we see now in Europe as well, you know, this kind of um, mistrust of the European Union, a lot of nationalist parties coming to power in Europe as well. Um, so if you look at it from that point of view, then, then there is a risk that the Chinese dream and the African dream could take China and Africa respectively in, in that direction, which I think would be a negative thing. It's a fascinating article, Chinese Dreams and the African Renaissance. Look for it on The East is Red. That's eastisred.wordpress.com. Motusi Turner, I hope it's not going to be another two years before you come back and join us on the show. I hope not as well. I've really enjoyed it. And if people want to follow what you're reading and writing uh, in addition to your blog, what's the best way that they can stay in touch with you? Um, So uh, my blog has a link to my Twitter feed, 
uh, but you can look for me on Twitter, Juicy Turner. Uh, so I've got an H after the T in my name, which is very confusing. Um, and similarly, the, the, the blog is, is, a, is, a great, is the best place to see what I'm writing. Um, and just so you know, uh, East is Red. Or red is spelled R-E-A-D. That's so correct. East is Red. I forgot to mention that. And also, where are you going to get a deep-thinking article like this that starts out with, uh, with Fuse ODG? You know? I mean, you know, that doesn't <laughs> happen very often. So uh, congratulations on a great piece. And Cobus, if people want to follow what you're doing uh, these days, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch? You'll see me on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesk. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. And you can find me on Twitter as well at E-O-Lander, E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. We're also on Facebook. Uh, Both Cobus and I are updating the page almost 24 hours a day. And also every Monday we send out... A week, uh, a week, uh, the China Africa news in review and preview weekly newsletter. A uh, great way to stay on top of the issues. We have four top stories of the week, plus our podcast, plus a link to an academic article every week. So if you're really not that intense on China Africa studies, um, you know, this is a great way to do it. And if also you just want to see what, you know, Kobus and I are kind of thinking about are the top stories of the week, sign up over at our website, ChinaAfricaProject.com. Uh, you'll see pop ups and there's a little bar at the top of the screen there. Or you can find Find that sign-up page right over on Facebook. And, of course, if you want to follow this podcast, the best way to do it, just head over to iTunes, search for China Africa Project. Uh, And we're so grateful to everybody who's left comments. Uh, Really, just a big thank you. Uh, You know, I plead at the end of every show for for some comments, and and some of you have listened, and, and we're really, again, very, very grateful for the feedback that we get. So we'll be back again very soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.